Welcome to Industry Focus, a podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, August 16th, and we are going to work on WeWork. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I've got fellow Industry Focus host Nick Seipel with me in the studio. Nick, what's going on, man? It's great to be here talking about WeWork. Uh, this is on the tech show. Is this a tech company? Uh, you know, I was a little confused by this. I got to be honest. We have the Industry Focus Slack channel with you, me, Jason Moser, Shannon Jones, and of course, the podfather, Chris Hill. And the news came out about the S1 for WeWork. And Jason Moser was saying that this is a tech show. Yeah, I mean, so why don't we talk a little bit about what this company does? And, you know, we can see whether that, how it ties in with tech and how it doesn't. Uh, at its core... Uh, this company's mission is to elevate the world's consciousness. So maybe that doesn't sound like tech. That sounds maybe like a more Wednesday show these days. Um, but uh, it was founded in 2010 by Adam Newman, who's the CEO, the controlling shareholder today, uh, Miguel McKelvey, uh, and Rebecca Newman, his wife. Uh, but what they actually do is what they call a space-as-a-service business model. Most folks are probably familiar with WeWork, shared office space, and they make money uh, through rent arbitrage. So they rent uh, a, a p- property uh, long-term, and then they will uh, alter that property, You know, put all the beer taps and all those sorts of things that people like uh, in their property, and then they will sublease it out uh, to other folks, startups, those sorts of things, and make money that way. They will make more money on those short-term leases than they pay in their long-term rent. Uh, they do make a big deal in their filing about community and culture. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, Dylan? Yeah, yeah. So you look at the business, and I think it's a lot easier to understand if you know the backgrounds from the founders. And so Miguel McKelvey has an architectural background. Um, I think he spent some time working at a firm that did a lot of the American apparel retail locations and, and really helped them with their build out. And I think that he is probably the one that has that creative touch that gives WeWork that distinct aesthetic that so many people have come to appreciate. And I think that so many different office spaces have mimicked. Um, his background, he, he wound up actually being raised in a five-mother community in Eugene, Oregon. Um, so, a little bit less conventional, maybe, than some people normally grow up. And uh, seems like someone who has really been, from an early age, engendered with this idea that community is very important and that um, there are a lot of great, both creative and innovative things that come out of a sense of community. And it seems like Adam Newman and his wife, Rebecca Newman, are very much on that train. Um, Rebecca Newman is someone who practices Buddhism, is very much a world traveler. She's a former uh, stock trader at Solomon Smith Barney. Um, And Adam Newman, I think, checks a lot of the boxes for what you would tend to expect from a Silicon Valley CEO. Um, Somewhat spiritual, very much in the sense that a company should both do good uh, and make money at some point down the road. And so, you know, you, you see the focus on community. Sometimes that can be a little bit of a buzzword. In the case of WeWork or the We Company, I guess we should say, um, it seems like it's what the company founders really believe in and what they really want to have be the case at any location they set up. You always have that skepticism when you see the buzzword that much, though. Right, and when you see the space as a service, when then they this is office space. Uh, when you talk about their technology platform, they do have an app that helps folks uh, schedule meetings. They've talked about leveraging technology to maximize the use of their space and those sorts of things. But at its core, uh, this is a commercial real estate company that is differentiated by its brand along those community community lines, and that's that's kind of what uh, what sets it apart. Should we talk a little bit about the financials, Dylan? I think we can't not talk about the financials at this company. I mean, we, we always do this with the, uh, with the S1 shows that we're breaking down companies that will be going public soon. We are so happy to finally have our hands on the numbers because that really gives us a sense of what a business is doing. In the case of WeWork, I mean, in some ways, great growth. In other ways, brutal financials. 
Right. So, I mean, if you look uh, at the numbers for the first half of 2019, you've got revenue roughly doubling uh, year over year. There's a multi-year trend of doubling revenues. Uh, memberships, which is what you know, the folks who rent office space uh, at a WeWork, have grown by over 100% every year since 2014. Uh, their memberships at the end of Q2 2019, 527,000 members. Over half of those are outside the USA. Obviously, some massive growth. Um, and they'd started out more uh, with independent freelancers and those sorts of things, but they've moved more into what they're calling enterprise members, those companies with more than 500 employees. That's now 40% of their membership. So you see massive growth on the top line, uh, a lot of growth uh, when it comes to their members. But when you look at the bottom line, uh, maybe not as pretty. Do you want to talk about that, Dylan? Yeah, this company is spending cash in a prolific way. Um, you know, their their expenses, all told, wind up roughly doubling their revenue for the past two years or so, and so they are losing more money than they are bringing in on the top line. And the narrative that we're getting from management here is, if we bring down our growth, we stop opening so many locations, we will hit the point where we're profitable at some point. I look at the financials, and I'm a little skeptical of that. And the main reason for that is, uh, I think for 2018, they had roughly 1.8, 1.9 billion in revenue and about 1.5 billion in operating expenses. That does not leave a lot of money left over to do SG&A, marketing, factor in the stock-based compensation you know is going to be coming because they're going public. There's a lot of other stuff going in there. It's not a super high-margin business to begin with. Right. I mean, you've still got to purchase real estate and refurbish real estate and operate it, which you know carries carries a cost. Uh, you've seen their average uh, membership revenue uh, start to decline per person as they've moved internationally. Uh, they've had a really big presence in some really attractive commercial real estate markets. They're the largest commercial real estate uh, tenant, I believe, in both London um, and New York. Uh, but yes, they say that as their locations mature, uh, they will reach profitability. Uh, what they define as a mature location is a location that's been open 24 months or more, so two years or more. It's about 30% of their locations today. Uh, they say that as those loca- locations mature, they can get a recurring stream of revenues, their costs come down, and they hit profitability. It's worth noting that you know a couple years ago, you look at some of their filings, they defined a mature uh, location as around 18 months. So uh, maybe... Profitability is not coming as quickly as they had expected in the past. The other question you have is, if profitability has to come by us slowing growth and moving to more uh, mature locations, do we need to give this company a high multiple based on its revenue growth over time, knowing that sooner or later that that has to end uh, for profitability uh, to happen? Any thoughts on that, Dylan? Yeah, I, I think that it's seductive to call a lot of companies tech companies, and um, the fact that we are a little confused about where this company lands within, you know, the the hierarchy of, you know, are they are they a financials business because they're um, working in lo- loan arbitrage, kind of? Are they um, an industrials company because they're kind of in the commercial real estate space? Um, a lot of companies are pitching themselves as tech companies these days, but don't really have the classic tenets of a tech business. Because when you look at a software company or you look at a platform company like a Facebook, you know you spend this money upfront to develop software, develop the platform, and then with each incremental user, your per user costs go down, and you enjoy incredible leverage throughout throughout no matter how many people you add. When you're looking at a building-based business, whether it's WeWork or WeLive, whatever they wind up doing, um, there's a certain defined capacity to those buildings. And to grow, you are having to continue to increase your locations. Each building, each location only has so much leverage to it. It doesn't really have a lot of the hallmarks that you'd expect with a tech company. 
Right. I mean, you mentioned some of those other spaces they're moving into. We Live, uh, which is some uh, housing that they have in both New York and, and D.C. We Grow, which is a private school operated by uh, Rebecca, mm-hmm. Rebecca Newman uh, in New York City, moving into these other areas. Uh, there are some trends that, that some things are moving in the di- right direction, however. Uh, so their lease terms are, are lengthening. So uh, from December 1st, 2017 uh, to June 1st, 2019, their average le- lease term has doubled to about 15 months. That's led to an increase in the amount of committed revenue backlog they have as a company. So that's grown to $4 billion, uh, versus $0.5 billion, uh, on December 31st, 2017. That's important for this company because, as I said earlier, they have these long-term liabilities, these long-term leases. Uh, but they only get paid on, on, from these short-term leases that they go sublease uh, to other businesses. Uh, there are still uh, some risk there when you look at their long-term lease payment obligations. Uh, about $47 billion they are obligated to long-term, but they have $4 billion uh, committed today. So there is some risk in this company is if because they have these short-term subleases but obligations to a long-term lease that the company has to pay. If you start to see some of the, you know, the economy turn down or for any reason, a meaningful departure uh, of tenants or members, as WeWork calls them, uh, then you have these long-term uh, liabilities that are still out there that the company will have to pay. So that, that is a real risk. Uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts about that, Dylan? Yeah, I, I think in some ways, this is a business that is really well positioned to capitalize on the gig economy, right? And um, having all of these freelancers, these kind of creative knowledge workers that are not in offices are very often capable of working from home, but instead want to find a place where they get that sense of community. There's a little bit of water cooler talk, and you you have a chance to see the same people every day and kind of build some relationships. It, it's appealing, and I understand why. You know, uh, that seems like the first place that a lot of um, people would go to for the customer base here. But um, to that point about the short term versus long term coverage, that four versus that forty seven billion. Um, you want to see them add enterprise customers because that will sure up a lot of that coverage and it will insulate them from a lot of those risks. You know, if you start working with companies and you see that a larger and larger portion of their revenue base is coming from companies rather than individuals, that makes me feel a lot better about the long-term prospects and the fact that they will probably be a little bit less prone to some of the cyclicality that you tend to see in the real estate market. Right, it's really a duration mismatch when it comes to uh, you know their the revenues coming in versus their their long term liabilities. Seeing that corrected or seeing uh, a move to more enterprise customers, where there's going to be that reliable recurring revenue, like in an area we see enterprise software. Right, you can't give up your enterprise software, you can't give up your office space overnight either. So you'd like to see that uh, that trend. Uh, they do talk about you know as they reach size, their ability to aggregate demand and kind of control the market. Uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see whether that materializes over time. There are some question marks around this company, and when there are a, a new company that's moving into a newly developing industry, uh, leadership is really important. Uh, when you take a look at the S one. There are some questions around corporate governance. Do you want to talk a little bit about that or introduce us to that there, uh, Dylan? <laughs> yeah, I think that um, there are times where corporate governance does not matter as much. You know, it's something when we do these S one shows where we kind of gloss over because we don't see anything crazy. In there, and there are frankly just more interesting things to talk about. Um, there are also times, you know, in the case when we did our breakdown on Snap, where there were some glaring red flags that we needed to discuss. That's the case here with WeWork. We have a lot of inside dealing and a lot of that centered around their CEO, Adam Newman. And so I think that this is a topic that we need to explore a little bit. You're a little bit more versed in, in kind of the ins and outs of it, so I'm going to let you take that. 
Yeah, so so first off, there are some some good things to see. So so you see a, a dual class voting share uh, where uh, the the founder uh, Adam Newman and I think some other insiders get a twenty x uh, voting uh, shares relative uh, to what private investors are, are going to get. However, there comes a, a catch with that. Uh, that voting interest will half if he doesn't give uh, over a, a billion dollars to charity over the next 10 years. So that, that gives you a good feeling that uh, we're, we're going to give money to charity and, and those sorts of things. That makes you feel a little bit better about that extra voting stock. But he does have an over 50% voting interest in the company. Uh, he does, his name is mentioned over 169 times in the, uh, in the S1, so very important. Uh, but there, there are some questions when it comes to a, a number of related party transactions uh, between Adam Newman and the company. These came out previously. Uh, there's uh, The company is party to lease agreements in four commercial properties in which he owns an interest. Three of those leases uh, were actually signed the day that he took an interest in the property. So you have the company paying rent uh, to the CEO and controlling shareholder of the company. They have taken some steps uh, to try to mitigate that through a, a new fund uh, called ARC, which is a separate management vehicle to separate Newman from some of the properties he owns. So it's, it includes those four properties uh, that they currently have a relationship with, as well as six other properties uh, that he owns. They're going to manage that for the year, and they'll have the opportunity to purchase that. But then you have some, he's taken out ahead of the IPO, uh, Wall Street Journal reported $700 million, which tends to not be a great sign if you see the founder cashing out nearly nearly a billion dollars. Um, ahead of the IPO, and th- and that's in company stock. To be clear, yeah, well, it's 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 uh, part of it is company stock. Part of it is loans based on company stock. Uh, but again, that's one of the largest I think we've ever seen of, of when it comes to a a founder ahead of an IPO monetizing uh, monetizing their stock. The other questionable, much lower dollar amount was earlier uh, in July, just just very recently, uh, the company by uh, bought the rights to the We Family trademarks. Uh, from We Holdings LLC. We Holdings LLC is owned by Adam Newman, the founder of the company. Uh, so, you see the company buying a six million dollar trademark to make what appears to be an unnecessary name change from WeWork to the We Company. As I lay out on a high level, some of those questionable transactions. Dylan, what are your thoughts as an investor? Yeah, I think it's a little weird that the CEO of a company would not just create the name and. Give that to the company, or have it be property of the company from the get-go. You know, I think I think it's a little bizarre for someone to separately create it and then be paid for it, especially because it's so clearly related to the core business that he's in charge of. Right, and, and to be fair, it says it says in the the filing that they they used a third party to determine evaluation uh, uh, for that. But when you see some of these loans being made to him, some of his family employed there, his wife obviously is employed there as, as his brother-in-law. Um, he has controlling stake in the company, making these decisions. Uh, does ask some questions. Uh, the other thing is that you look at the corporate structure for the business. Really hard uh, to make sense of right now. They're doing using an up C structure, and this is uh, a model that uh, typically allows insiders to get a more tax efficient uh, IPO. Um, allows them to take a partnership interest in the company uh, versus taking shares. We still don't know. Uh, if you look at their chart, it's really hard to make sense of, and I, I'm not going to try to try to describe it to you today. Uh, but the nature of those partnership interests, until some of those final numbers get filled in, uh, when we get updated numbers from the S1, we don't really know exactly what public shareholders are going to be getting. Um, so a lot, a lot of question marks there. When when you know you really got to trust the management when it comes to this business model. Yeah, and really, like you don't want to have to go through a maze of ownership or. Uh, stock-based loans or anything like that to just get a sense of what someone's exposure is to the business and how the business funnels money. Right? You want it to be nice and simple. You want a company to go public 
and you know have the people that are running that business not really do anything all that eventful. <laughs> you know, you don't want anything monkeying with the lockup periods like we've seen with Beyond Meat, which I haven't really been a big fan of. Um, and you don't want to see people selling shares before they before they go public. I know that there are perfectly valid reasons for that. You know, you want to make sure that people that have a ton of money tied to the equity of a business also have liquidity. You know, obviously people need cash. And I know uh, in the case of um, the CEO, he is not taking a salary in the conventional sense. I don't think his wife is either. And so, um, obviously, they need money coming in one way or the other. I don't know that they need hundreds of millions of dollars, (laughs) you know, in uh, stock-based loans to make that happen. And so, it's not what you want to see. And when you already have some numbers that make it pretty clear, business isn't going to be profitable anytime soon. It's just kind of another strike against the company for me. Yeah, I, you look at the company. They have, particularly when it comes to the valuation. I think there are some. They need. There's a show me that needs to be there. So their most recent private valuations around forty-seven billion dollars. They've taken in over ten billion dollars from SoftBank in the since 2017. That's really driven up that valuation. You compare that uh, to you know a public uh, publicly traded comp. So IWG PLC uh, also has a flexible office space offering called Spaces. We have one of those on the third floor in our building. Very nice office space. Uh, they have make three billion dollars in revenue uh, last year. Made up four hundred and sixty million dollars. It's a four and a half billion dollar market cap. You compare that to WeWork. As I said, uh, private market valuation of forty seven billion dollars. Two thousand eighteen, they made one point eight billion dollars in revenue. As we mentioned, they lost money. Uh, again, we compare that to a company that has higher revenue, uh, <laughs> much lower market cap. Uh, you really have to believe in the, in the culture of this business, uh, in their you know the management's growth. Uh, trajectory uh, to buy shares today. And there are some question marks when it comes to the business model. There's some question marks when it comes to corporate governance. For me, it's going to be a wait and see, sit on the sidelines company. Uh, but, uh, you know, reasonable minds can disagree. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that they are the Kleenex of the co working space, right? They, they are the business uh, name that people recognize in this industry. Um, the hope is that. They have enough moat there with that brand, and it's really a brand-based moat. I don't know that they have anything else in place. Maybe you could say the real estate agreements that they have in some of the most desirable markets could be a moat. Um, the bigger they get, the more clout they have in a market. But um, you know, we we walk past that spaces space all the time in our own building, and it looks awfully a lot like what we would expect with a WeWork, right? It's super hip, cement floors, you know, nice modern furniture. Um, the the thing that WeWork seems to play up to insulate itself from competition is the community vibe. That's why they spend so much time talking about it in their prospectus. I, I hope that that's enough for them to be able to fend off competition. I'm not convinced right now. Yeah, I think again, real estate is a space that's been around for a very long time. Obviously, this this co-working model is a is a new business model uh, that has really been disruptive. Uh, I just question whether the folks who are in the space, who have a lot of experience in managing properties, whether they can't curtail some of WeWork's growth or just take away some of that market share. And when you look at its current valuation relative to you know where similar publicly traded comparison companies are, it's just hard for me to get really excited about it. And then you throw the corporate governance stuff over the top, and it's I want to watch this one from the sidelines. Have a little bit of fun watching folks uh, may probably argue back and forth. Yeah, and I think one of the lessons here, you know, we're we joked about whether this belongs on the tech show, and and I think that when people see companies going public, particularly these high flying unicorns, um, it's it's good to have a certain level of skepticism about whether a company that is billing itself as a tech company truly is a tech company. Because I'll go back to the financials just briefly. I harped on this before, but 1.8 billion in revenue in 2018. 
$1.5 billion in operating expenses alone. And that puts you in a spot where there's just not a lot left over to pay your other expenses. And it isn't like magically you're going to become super profitable with operating leverage uh, down the road. You know, I, I'm willing to give a super scalable business like software a high valuation because you know that at some point that company is probably going to have 80, 70% margins on an operating basis. That's not the case with WeWork. And I don't see anything right now that they could possibly get close to that. And so come in and question whether some of these companies that are saying they're tech are truly tech because the way I see it right now it's not and and they don't they want to benefit from that comparison from a valuation perspective I don't think they deserved it yeah I will say one part of the business that is interesting to me they have this powered by we business where they will come in and alter properties for enterprises you can see how that would be a little bit of a less capital intensive model they can manage the properties for businesses if you can see that growth or see the company pivot to that I, I can see how that could be more scalable and drive more profits uh, but as you say you know they're they're a technology company but really to deliver their technology you still have to own refurbish and manage real estate which is a low margin capital intensive business yeah I think we're in agreement here I would love to get a good bull take on WeWork. So, if any of our listeners are really into this business, they've done some homework and they think they have a compelling bull thesis, or any of our writers uh, for Fool.com, you know, I've talked to a couple of people who are a little bit more mixed on it. I'd love a strong bull case here, just because so much of the coverage we've seen has been negative. I think mostly because of some of the financial issues we're talking about and the corporate governance issues um, that have us concerned. Please write into the show, uh, industryfocus at Fool.com, or you can get us at MF Industry Focus. Um, Nick, thanks for hopping on today's show. You know, it feels fun to talk about tech. I'm all high tech over here. You know, it's, it's fun. And it's nice to do a show with you. You know, we do those roundtables here and there uh, where we get everyone in the booth. But um, it's it's fun to have someone in the studio here. The Skype relationship it does get tiring at times. Yeah, bring the side of desk banter in the studio. <laughs> we are working right now on WeWork, Nick. But what are you up to this weekend? Uh, we're going to the Nats game tonight, and then, uh, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, uh, producer Austin Morgan has a little bit more context. We are, as fools, going, I think there's about 100 of us going to the Nats game. They're playing the Brew Crew, and as I understand, it's a pretty big game. Yeah, uh, this weekend, big series. The Nats are a game up on Milwaukee for the wild card going into the weekend. So, hopefully, by the end of the weekend, they're four games up. Yeah, games start nice. to really matter in August and September. Big time. So, uh, we will be rooting, and we will hopefully be dry. Rain in the forecast. We'll see what happens. Um, and if you're a Nats fan, you know, write in. Maybe maybe if you're at the game, let us know. I got money on Christian Yelich and Juan Soto both hitting home runs tonight. Why is that? Just because they're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that our producer... Austin Morgan, our man behind the glass who makes everything happen, is also awesome. Thank you for the baseball commentary. I think that does it for today's show, Nick. Let's do it again sometime. Let's do it again sometime. Listeners, that's it for this episode of Industry Focus. Like I said, if you want to reach us on email, industryfocus at fool.com, or you can tweet us at MF Industry Focus. If you want more of our stuff, we've got tons of content over on YouTube, and you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For Nick Seipel, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Thank you.